Hello everybody, this is Andre. Welcome to the Marketing Innovation Show. On today's episode, we have a very special guest from the US. Her name is Loi Nadu, and she's the founder and CEO of uh, Smoking Mary. So Smoking Mary is a Bloody Mary drinks company that has started out as a family business born out of passion from tomatoes and good mixers. Hello, Lori. How are you? How is everything going? It's going great. It's, you know, beautiful morning here and things are going well. Amazing. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, for, the, for the ones of you guys listening, uh, on today's episode, as you probably saw in the title, we have a very uh, fresh topic as well. It's the first time that we talk about um, B2C in this sense on the, uh, on the podcast. So we will discuss about um, launching and growing a food and drinks business. So uh, we'll, go in, we'll go together with Lori into the nitty gritty of uh, you know, how to brand a company, how to grow it in a very competitive market, as well as uh, how to sustainably, you know, uh, distribute it in shops and make it as a national or even global business. So, Laurie, very excited for this. Tell us, uh, how did you start? What was your story um, before Smoking Mary? Well, it's interesting. Um, I actually have always been in more professional businesses, and. I started this kind of accident. I think that's what, how all good things start is by an accident. But we started, uh, I started this because I was helping some of my clients because I was a real estate broker at the time. And I was helping some clients um, find a house and they had asked me to do some farmer's markets because they had a cousin who had some uh, greenhouse tomatoes that needed to move them. So we and we were in Park City, Utah at that time, and it you know the season for growing produce is really small. So we actually had because we had greenhouse tomatoes, they were ready to go way before anybody else's came out of the ground. So we had a surplus of tomatoes after all those others started coming out of the ground, and we had to find something to do with them. So you know I learned how to can, which was completely new thing to me. You know, my mother had always done it growing up, but I'd never participated. And um, so I learned how to can and I was doing salsas and sauces and pasta sauce, you name it. And I still had a whole bunch of tomatoes left and they were in the freezers. And somebody said, hey, why don't you do a Bloody Mary mix? And, you know, I never thought of it because truly I only drank Bloody Marys two times not in my life, but on two different occasions. Usually it's at the airport or on an airplane or um, at a casino, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's really my only drive toward a Bloody Mary. So I ended up creating this. I just opened the fridge, dashed, um, you know, threw a whole bunch of spices and condiments out of the fridge. Because the recipe I picked up on the internet only had four ingredients. And it wasn't enough for me because I like a lot of flavor and I like robust. Um, and then after I got that kind of dialed in, then I decided to smoke the tomatoes because I like smoked everything. And I'd done that with the salsa and it was fantastic. Nice. So it kind of, yeah, developed. It took five years to get the, the recipe dialed in. Because I am, like I said, I'm a picky. <laughs> and, and flavor is most important. Yeah, that's kind of that. That all starts. 
Amazing, amazing. Love it. So it was uh, basically like a sort of an experiment for you, as well as uh, the desire to be creative about it and to, you know, trying to invent something of yourself, right? Yes. And, you know, the intention was never to take this thing to market. It was just, I was hell-bent on creating and fixing, you know, making it better. Because I have this little mantra that there's got to be a better way. No matter what it is that you're doing, there's always a better way. And so I was dead set on creating a better Bloody Mary mix, you know, one that doesn't water down and lose its flavor and all the things that typically happen with the stuff that you find at the stores or even in bars. Yeah, so it, it was really, it was an interesting ride. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to get more into, you know, the tasting and kind of the process that started um, as I was going through the five years of tweaking this and making it and testing it and sampling it to everybody. Sure thing. Well, At least everybody that was. Uh, sorry for interrupting, but let's do it now. Let's go straight into the subject. So uh, you were experimenting with this recipe and you started to develop your own flavors. Um, how did it happen when you have started to think about it as a commercial product and actually, you know, thinking about a strategy to, uh, to brand it and to produce it at scale and maybe to start distributing it? Uh, tell us a bit more about your journey there and uh, how did marketing fit, in, fit into it, how this how did business and business planning fit, to, fit into it? Okay, that was an, it, the journey. I could almost write a book, and it would be a thick book. The journey was really, really interesting. Um, now that I look back at it, while I was in it, I thought I wanted to pull my hair out, you know, because there was a lot of these. There's a lot. I didn't know anything. Not, and this isn't something where you go and take a college class and learn about here's how you do this step by step. There is no guide. There's nothing. It's just kind of figuring it all out on the whole journey. So, you know, when I first decided after doing all the sampling and tasting, and I did that throughout the U.S., I was sending bottles all over everywhere. People I knew, people I didn't know, because it was important to get an accurate, accurate feedback on, you know, it's to this, it's to that, needs more of this, needs that. Because typically your friends and family are not going to be 100% honest with you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah, they don't want to hurt your feelings. And I'm like, I want my feelings. Tell me the truth. Um, So then, you know, I I reached out to people that were maybe Bloody Mary connoisseurs, but really, really, they, you know, consider them as a Bloody Mary expert. So those were really true, accurate uh, responses and feedback that I would get. But of course, everybody wanted to be included. So that part of the journey, you know, and I got the recipe tweaked to a point, um, you know, because when I was doing the recipe, I actually had, I'd have two five-gallon pots on the stove. And I would be tweaking one a little bit and stirring it up and tasting it. And then I'd tweak the other one with a little bit different because I really wanted to get this right. And when I got down to changing the teaspoon, my husband said, you're done. No more. Because there were 16 revisions 
over this period of time. That's a lot. Um, and so he said no more. He's a gourmet cook, and he's the one that really got me. He's the one that turned me into a food snob <laughs> and flavor snob because everything he does is just so good. So um, at that point, um, I had started going to some of the food industries. There's a big one in San Francisco every year that's called Fancy Food. And so I attended that just to get an idea of what is this industry like as a business. And, you know, met some people, had some great conversations with people who'd been in the industry for many, many years, uh, got some feedback, and then learned, took some classes at that, um, that trade show, and then learned, you know, okay, well, you need a co-packer because you need to manufacture this somewhere mm-hmm. if you want it to be successful and you want the consistency. And the biggest thing for me is I didn't want employees. I didn't want to deal with that aspect because to me, what I've seen in my life is that employees tend to be kind of um, a pain. (laughs) They can be painful for an employer. So when you use a co-packer, which is a manufacturer, they take your recipe, they have all the licenses, the food uh, product licensing, everything that you need. They have all the insurances and they charge you a little bit more to do that, but it's worth it. So then there's the challenge of finding a co-packer that can actually produce your product. That took a while. I did find one in California when we first started and it was a small one. And they actually, we were doing business with them for our first probably three years. And then they had some business challenges, um, filed bankruptcy, went out of business. And we were without somebody to do production because we had put all of our eggs in one basket, which is another challenge. Um, We ended up going through another one, which didn't work out so well for us. Um, And then we finally found our, I call it our sweet spot in Texas because it's in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. And as far as logistics go, you need to really, really consider logistics and where you place your company and where your products are going to be shipped out of. Because for us, being that we're a liquid product and we're in glass, expensive. So that part, you know, we were in California. To ship something to Florida a case uh, uh, to ship a case to Florida was like $60. Nobody's going to pay $60 for shipping. Right. Mm -hmm. So we missed out on the whole East coast for business. Nobody wanted to do business with us because they couldn't afford to. Um, And our product was a premium product on top of that. So the, the price just was, it was, it wasn't possible for most businesses to, to do. And so we've moved it to Texas. Um, that was last year. And this company has been doing this for, I don't even know how many years, maybe 60 years. So they've got it all dialed in. They have their purchasing power. They've got logistics. I mean, we've got everything perfect now 
and now we can actually play with the big boys. So Super. when you talk when you talk about distribution, um, distribution is typically through distributors or brokers, and you they're the ones that pretty much make all the money. As mm-hmm. a manufacturer, we hardly make pennies. <laughs> I mean, it's something also to consider. <laughs> um, but uh, so distributors, we're getting more attention that way. And they're the ones that will be the supply chain to get us into the different um, stores, bars, restaurants. And so we've had to revamp a whole bunch of stuff now in COVID was actually a blessing in disguise for us because it's allowed it's allowed me and you know any partners that we partner with um, to really refocus marketing efforts, um, just kind of the whole path from manufacturing the way to the end user, and and so that's and I know you want to you want to delve in with the next subject, huh? Uh, yes, but I wanted to ask a question around this one because I really think it's interesting how you went about for, uh, you know, like scaling the business and entering uh, the retailers because uh, so I'm I personally, I'm not in uh, the B2C space and uh, I'm not very proficient in how supply chain works in this space. But I think uh, some of our listeners might not be either. either. Uh, so just for the ones that maybe are aspiring to opening a B2C um, company, distributing or creating products or maybe the ones that have already startups and they are looking at scaling their operations or getting into retailers. Basically for you, uh, the strategy was to go to these uh, manufacturers manufacturers that were very good at, you know, like they had all the links and they had all the logistics and they were helping you with manufacturing the product as well as getting into the retail space? Well, no. So the co-packer that manufactures our product they don't have anything to do with distribution. Their oh, okay. whole focus is just everything to do with the product, the food safety, um, the ingredients, and then delivering you the finished product, the bottles in a case. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like distribution, that's a whole new, new thing that I have to do. Okay. That I've that's, got to find. Got you. So that's when we go into the way that you went about branding the product, about uh, raising awareness about it, and then promoting it at. Uh, and let's dive into that subject at festivals first, right? Yes. Well, okay. Let's. Can we go back to branding the product? Yes. Let's. Um, just because that to me. Um, so when I was in that initial five years of creating the recipe and kind of getting it all ready and dialed in and tested um, and tasted by other individuals to get their feedback. I started about three and a half years into it was when I'm like, okay, maybe I do want to take this to market. This might be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So at that point, a year and a half before we actually launched our first product, I started with the branding and I worked really closely with, um, I partnered with um, a branding company to get that right. Because that took, it did take all of the year and a half to get the logos created, to get the brand message that we wanted to, in, in, of the brand, because a brand just isn't a logo. It's so much more than that. 
And when you understand it, you'll know why it takes a year and a half. You cannot skip that, that stage. That's probably your most important stage on top of having a good product, obviously. Um, but the branding part, the trademark, I recommend strongly that you trademark not only your logo and your brand, but your product name. You don't ever want any product confusion or, I mean, I found some people that were using it, you know, using smoke and berry on a, on a restaurant menu. And because I own the trademark, I got a hold of them and said, hey, you can't use that unless you're using my product to, um, to, to, to make that Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. So that's really important with trademark. You've got to protect your names, you know, and name all of it. Um, and that does take time. In the U.S., it takes about 18 months to get your trademark um, completely through. I know that you said um, we had a conversation about this. In the U.K., it takes about 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, in the different countries, it you know, it takes a – I'd say it's probably between – 12 to 18 months, no matter where you are. So um, in the U.S., it actually, I think I got mine done early. It was like 16 months. <laughs> I was excited. But, um, but yeah, I do, have, I do have several trademarks. And I have been fortunate that I had um, a lot of experience in the legal industry because I worked um, closely with attorneys. I did sales, software sales to them as another past um, experience that I have. So I had uh, enough experience and connections that I could, that I was able to have those attorneys help me and it, they didn't charge me anything, which was fantastic. So I can do my own trademark in the US. Cost $225. Um, and they do have, uh, the, uh, the US Trademark Center does have an assistance um, phone number. You can call them. They'll answer any questions. They have. They were so helpful. And when I actually got my first trademark through on my own, not being an attorney, I was shocked, shocked, but very excited too, because it could cost several thousand dollars for an attorney to do it for you, mm-hmm. but it's not necessary. Um, so that's. So, and then you know, of course, the branding. That's logos, everything. It's going to be designing product sheets. It's going to design introduction letters. So you really have to focus on the message that you want to put out there that has to be enticing for those to give you a chance. Um, I was also very fortunate that I was introduced to some people that are in management and owners of different uh, businesses that took on my product just because it was recommended to them or they, they bought me. They bought me and wanted to give me a chance. So getting in those first couple stores was fun. And then, of course, as you mentioned, then you have to create your consumer demand because it's, it's such a tough, um, it's tough to decide which one's first. Do you want to create the consumer demand first or do you need to be in stores? Cause mm-hmm. you can have consumer demand, but nowhere to buy it doesn't work. So we allowed that we set up our website so they could buy it directly off of our 
off of our website, which worked well. Um, so you kind of need, you need to do both. You've got to have your website set up for e-commerce and you've got to make sure that your shipping charges aren't too high, uh, which is negotiations with, uh, you know, whoever the different carriers are. We use all UPS a lot. Um, uh, never postal because we can't, we can't because of our product mm-hmm. and being glass and being liquid and all that stuff. Um, and then of course, you know, we got into those couple stores and we started doing all these festivals um, that I had uh, mentioned the other day and we were doing, so we're in our fifth year. We're going into our fifth year now. The first three years, I would say we were on the road and I say we, my husband um, helped me out with this, but we were doing shows almost every weekend. So if there's 52 weeks in a year, we were doing shows on the road 40 weekends a year. Because, that sounds you know, very fun. The other ones were <laughs> it, it was fun in the beginning. Toward, toward now, it just it got to be, it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of energy and a lot of work. Um, but it's fun meeting all the new people. And now we can say, hey, you can go foods or you can go to Total Wine and More and buy our mixes. Okay, super cool. So um, apart from these things about branding and obviously going and choosing the right partners and everything, was there anything else that has helped you maybe per- in particular uh, to make it to, you know, like, you know, basically to scaling and growing the brand exponentially? Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that the U.S. does, and I'm not sure if they do it in the countries or not, something you'd have to check on That's part of the research. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a diversified supplier program. And basically what that program is, is it will take, bring in certain like woman-owned business, women-owned businesses, or if you have any other diversification, uh, you can come in t- and get into that store or that chain of stores as a woman-owned business because they get tax breaks every year they have, but in order to get that tax break, they have to have a certain percentage of these diversified individuals. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a, a great way to kind of slide into the store if you're having trouble getting into that store, because mm-hmm. now you have, you've got that extra card to work with. That's a, And it that's just a, takes certain. That's a hack. <laughs> we love hacks here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good one because, you know, and it, it requires certification, which costs some money. It's like 400, 400 to $2,000, depending on who you use to help you, or you can do it yourself. And that, that's around 400 But it's worth it if you can get, you know, another supply chain. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you guys, um, not from the US, you'll have to look this up, but I think it's a very nice hack. If I had a <laughs> uh, B2C business, I would probably, I, I never heard about this one, but I think it's such a good one uh, because uh, I think it's the bigger brands in the supply chain industry that would be knowing about these tax brackets and try to maximize them, right? So uh, were there any big names that you managed to with uh, with this? 
So the big names here, like uh, the Kroger grocery store chain, it's throughout the whole U.S., and they have hundreds of stores. So, of course, they're, they're concerned about taxes. And it's like, okay, what's one more thing we can do as a tax benefit? Oh, we can ha- bring in, you know, have 5% of our new vendors be women-owned. Mm-hmm. Or they can be, you know, they can be um, African-American. I think there's, um, there's one for... Um, disadvantaged which areas that are lesser income areas in the country so there's a couple different brackets you know the american indians um it just it just depends you know there's several different certifications but for me i'm woman-owned so that's the one i'm focused on (laughs) super super well thought and thank you so much for the hack okay also i think it's worth mentioning because i know that some of the people uh, tuning in would be uh, listening to the show but not seeing the screen Uh, and i think going back to the branding and having you know like your brand shine through (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think it's worth mentioning that you got here all dressed up and, you know, like with a, with a full brand on, you are we- wearing an amazing polka, um, uh, polka dress and you have, you know, like your looks are straight up, straight on. Really nice, really nice. And thank you for all the preparation. <laughs> well, they need to go and look, look at the video if they're not watching it. Exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, polka dress this was my husband's idea because when we started out, we started doing our first appearances and shows and, you know, I had the smoke and Mary t-shirts made up. And so I was wearing t-shirt and jeans. So I just looked like everybody else at a farmer's market selling stuff. And he says, you need to stand out. You need to wear a polka dot dress or something to that effect. And I was like, I don't want to do that because it just, it wasn't, you know, it was it was going to be work because I had to get all up in this pinup look. And if any of you aren't seeing the video, you can go to my website and you'll see the different looks that I take to different shows. Uh, so that's part of that that branding and that persona. This is the persona we created, and with the the pinup being kind of you know it's obviously a retro. We now have um, we have an. Uh, RV camper that we take to all the different shows. So, and it's all, it's got logos all over it. The back window says the Bloody Mary Roadshow. So we are a driving billboard down the road every time we're going to a show because Mm -hmm. we need to, we need to get the message out everywhere as many ways as we can. And that was a fantastic way to do it. Now, you can't cut people off or flip them the bird as you're going down the road, which sometimes, you know, it's hard to do when you get a little bit of, when you get upset because somebody cut you off. Can't do that. Not when you're in the, in the, in the rolling billboard. <laughs> that was the only thing. And kind of, my husband had a little bit of a challenge with that one. <laughs> but, but you know what was fun? What's been fun with that is people will get on Instagram or face mostly Instagram and they would see put in smoke and merry mix and they'd be like hey we just saw you driving down this freeway looking good <laughs> so nice 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is working because you never know. I mean, in marketing, it changes so much. You don't know what's going to work. If, if something works today, it's not guaranteed it's going to work tomorrow. It changes too often. So definitely, you know, we have fun with it. We're doing good. We're changing it up all the time, but definitely sticking to the polka dot dress. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. So basically what you did was uh, you got a brand and you put it out there in, on every channel that you had, not necessarily digital, just, you know, giving the experience of the brand to anybody that could capture it. So whether that was on the road, whether that was uh, when you guys were actually sampling or even selling or, you know, like everywhere you could, somebody could encounter you. Now, I think uh, it would be really interesting for our listeners to go into the, um, like your choice of going with the festivals uh, and doing sampling, for example, there rather than going down the traditional route, which um, I think in Europe is very popular. So in Europe, then, like usually when somebody has a startup idea for, let's say, a premium product or a handmade um, food or drinks product or, you know, something more unique, they would try to pitch it to uh, retailers uh, themselves or by going through some brokers. And then they would go to um, either very small uh, exhibitions or shows or um, go to trade shows like bigger expositions. Now, prob- probably not that much because of COVID, but before they would go into these space in- yeah. spaces and they would try to pitch to people that might be able to distribute them or to take them over as suppliers. Um, why did you choose festivals? I think it's really interesting to find out. Well, there's two reasons. First of all, it, we were making money doing it. We were, we were getting, being able to sell retail and that allowed us to keep the business float afloat. Um, it's, it's very expensive to develop a product and take it to market. I can just tell you that it's, it's not just, you aren't making money instantly, Mm -hmm. not in the food and beverage industry for sure. Um, and we don't have any investors. You know, it's money I've saved over the years, money from really good paying jobs that I've had. Um, no investors, though, which is, it's good because, you know, we don't have to account, be accountable to anybody else. Um, but as far as the festivals, the reason why we chose them primarily was because we wanted to create consumer demand. The mm-hmm. only way you can do that is to get samples, as many people as you can, and festivals, some of the, so, and I have mostly my criteria for a festival is they have to have at least 50,000 people that attend. And this is over a weekend, usually it's a Saturday, Sunday, sometimes it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Some of the shows we do have 400,000 people. That is like an ideal show for us. So if they have, you know, 5,000, we'll do it only if it's really close to home because then, you know, it's a little bit more intimate. We still sell about the same amount, but the idea was mostly to get people to taste it and to introduce it to as many people as possible. Um, and those larger shows that allows that to happen. And then of course they buy it and when they buy it and say, well, where can I get more when I run out? Well, in the beginning we said, well, you can go on our website and we sell it on our website. 
And people would be like, oh, but then I have to pay shipping. We'll just wait until we see you at, at this festival next year. So then I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good next year when we come back because people always, and we've got a following now, but you want to create the demand for them to continue using your product. It's a consumable. You want it consumed. Um, so we finally were able to get in different stores in the locations where we were doing our festivals saying, Hey, we're going to be sampling our mix and selling it to thousands of people. We're going to, we need somewhere to send them to, to buy the product after they run out. And so we got in the store that way. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like, a lot of the stores, they want you to do in-store sampling. And, you know, that's fine, but it's just my husband and I work in this business. I can't be everywhere. I need to be where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. And that's more exposure to as many people as I can possibly be exposed to and sample to. When I when we've done these stores, the in-store demos, you know, in three hours we may sample it to 20 people. And of those 20 people, not as many buy as they do at festivals because they're at that store for a different reason. Mm-hmm. They're there to get what they're there to get, and it's not to be really diverted into buying this other product. Mm-hmm. So you know, we weren't selling a lot that way, but we also weren't getting it into enough mouths and enough people to say, oh, wow, I'm going to buy that. Or, or I'll remember to come back and buy that. Mm-hmm. It's just, just too small, you know, too small of exposure. So when I explained that to the stores, I said, here's the deal. I can spend my three hours in your store sampling to 20 to 25 people, or I can go to a show right here in your backyard and I can send thousands of people to your store to buy my mix. Mm-hmm. Which would you rather have? And they go, oh, okay. Because if they're going to go to a liquor store, they're not just going there to buy Smoke and Mary. They're going to buy all kinds of other stuff. So it's a great benefit for the store, for us to send people to the store. So um, so that's kind of how, that's the path that I took with that um, with COVID, obviously, everything hit down. The restaurants and bars, you know, we were really working this year was to focus on getting into those industries because they actually, they turn a lot more product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some $20,000 a weekend and just in Bloody Marys. Ooh, nice. I'm like, well, I want to be in that bar. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, I have this, Huge marketing campaign to go after all these, and you know LinkedIn has <laughs> has definitely been a favorite tool for me. But the B two B, I've got almost six thousand connections with everybody in the industry. I'm talking like chefs, uh, bar people, general managers, executives. I mean, everybody who may have some input. And I was planning the, all this campaign and then everything got shut down and I'm just like, okay, now what? This so is where the pivot comes. 
yeah, re- really tell us about that one because uh, I think that some people from our listeners might have been hit by this as well, you know, working in hospitality, also, uh, so both food and drinks, but also bars and travel. So uh, how did you go about the, let's say, little crisis? What, what did you look at and what did you pivot? So for me, um, with everything shutting down, like I said, I switched from focusing on things that I knew, knew that I needed to get done. And all these things take time. But if you're up and running and things are going and you keep getting distracted. So one of the things that I needed to do was come up with some better messaging that caters more to the B2B. So if I'm talking to a consumer, that's different. I can say, oh, you can love this, do this, that, and the other, and la, 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 la. You know, we cook with our mix. We drink it with all kinds of spirits. So we had to rethink a lot of what we were doing. So one of the first things we did is we were creating more consumer demand to buy on our website. How do you do that? You have to come up with more ways for them to use it, to use our mixes. So we got on and we did... um, I think we started with 30 food recipes and now we're at 60 and we've done some videos on Facebook, Facebook live. Um, so people are cooking with it. They're cooking with it a lot, which means they have to order more and keep getting more. Um, and that's the consumer side of it as far as like restaurants. That's very, very, you know, my message. repurposed the product in a way because it was not Bloody Mary only. It was also food and maybe people would be able to double use it if that makes sense. So, you know, like have it as a drink, but also put it in the food at the same time. Right. So that doubles the consumption. Yeah. Well, and we weren't, we've always said, you know, drink it with all these different spirits because it, it, complements all kinds of different spirits um we've also released two new mixes uh one in the midst of covid and the other one just at the end of uh, last year um so we had all these different ways to use it but now that everybody's at home cooking because they couldn't go to restaurants mm-hmm. they wanted new ideas they wanted different things than you know they're than they were used to they wanted to create some good stuff so that was really helpful. We actually launched um, an online cookbook just a couple weeks ago. And that cookbook had all the recipes in it, including all the different that you can uh, recipes for cocktails with it. Um, so that, that has been interesting. And then as far as like the um, business to business, the chefs and those people, I have been reaching out to them through, LinkedIn saying, Hey, can I send you some to try to see if it's something that you may want to bring into your kitchen when we reopen? Because I knew I had their attention because they're bored. They're at home. They're furloughed. So that was a great way to introduce another thing that I did, um, social media. So we, you know, we've always done, you can tell we did them that we've created all of them. Um, I've learned how to get more creative with my social media posting because I thought, you know, it's time to make it more professional. 
because before I was just being fun and it was us because people want, they always like to see us in it. And I've switched it over. I hired um, a company that does social media posting. So I, um, they do, they post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn every day. It's the same post on all platforms, but the posts that they're doing, it's okay. It works. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, it's, it should be on LinkedIn. So that has been really helpful for creating our professional image and getting more people to look at our LinkedIn profile, Mm -hmm. because that's what you want with, with B2B. You want them all looking at your profile. We've updated profile and changed it a little bit so that it may be um, create a little bit more, uh, not demand, but to create some curiosity from mm-hmm. the people that go and look at it on LinkedIn. To have it tempting um, for them to engage with your content really on this platform as well. Yes. Yes. And then um, the other big thing with social media is influencers. So that's another thing that we've done during COVID is I've connected, I've looked at, and I've found people that are influencers. And so an influencer on social media is somebody with a large following. If they only have 100 people that follow them, that's not where you want to go. You want to go with somebody who's got at least a couple thousand people that follow them Mm -hmm. because you know, and, and then what I did was I offered them samples to do a review for us. And so, you know, I sent out, I would say I sent out 50 messages to these people and I probably got 10, 10 that said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, which is great. You know, some of them have 50,000 followers. Mm-hmm. Now, when they do their post and they've done this on Instagram, They'll do the post. They'll show them with the drink that they create and they do nice photos, put it in their story. And now all of their followers have now just been introduced to my mix by someone that they trust. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important way to do things right now as we are right now because social media is so much inactive um definitely you know keep your post professional um on a level that you want people to really remember your product by and you know in your brand what do you want your brand to say you've always remember that and as you're doing your business plan initially go back Every six months, look at your business plan. You want to see, is it taking you where you want it to go? Because the business plan is a a working document. It's something that's meant to change all the time as things change. Well, COVID was a great example of things changing. So it's now going to allow you to say, okay, here's our marketing approach as it is now. And this is what we're going to do. And here's a new marketing plan. And here's our new strategy to get into more restaurants, more stores. Be that what it is. 
Um, and for us, I can tell you what's come. I, another thing that's come out of COVID is that all of our trade shows were canceled. So we were looking at going to, so for us, there's a couple called um, nightclub and bar shows. Those are huge, huge for us. And now that we have three products and not just one that they've seen, we really wanted to get in front of these guys because we want them to bring us into their bars and restaurants. Well, it's canceled. Now what do you do? So there have been several companies that have popped up as an online buyer platform. Mm -hmm. So similar to, okay, so you've got Amazon, which is for consumers. You've got Alibaba, which is global for buyers. That's a wholesale market. So we now are, we're going to be on Alibaba. Our site is uh, just finishing up the creation right now for that, but we're going to use Alibaba. And, you know, if people are interested, they're going to request a sample. No problem. We'll send you a sample. We're repackaging our sample right now so that they're smaller. We never had a small one. And that way will allow us um, better shipping, less expensive, and give them what they need um, as far as tasting the product. Mm -hmm. um, there's, um, I, we're, there's Good Trends, Fair, Mabel, Range Me. So there's all these different virtual platforms now for buyers. And you want to be part of them. I caution you to be very careful with the ones that you choose um, because of pricing. Some of them will charge you so much money, and then they're also going to charge you a commission on anything get, that gets run through their site. You got to be careful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, yeah, well, Alibaba was, I mean, that's amazing. They just launched in the US in October. And then, of course, all this happened, which really changed things for them as well. But it also allowed us to get on their platform for a really good deal. Very nice. So, so for, and, and, yeah. For you guys uh, that um, are, are tuned in, if you want to follow um, Logi, um, we'll put everything in the description as well. So you'll have all the links to all the platforms. But for now, if you want to have a quick look at the pictures and at the new products, um, her Instagram handle is Smoking Mary Mix. So uh, if you go there, you'll see all the, these pictures look so good. Like the, not the last one, but the, the previous one. Oh, this is so... <laughs> Uh, I, I really want to have a Bloody Mary now. This looks so good. Uh, are you planning on <laughs> bringing it to Europe anytime? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, actually, yes, we did. Before COVID had hit, we were talking to a big distributor that does, um, they're in France, Spain, and there's, I can't remember where the other one is, maybe Portugal. So maybe those areas. But we definitely are working on to starting to export. You know, that's another a totally different animal into export. Um, it's got a whole lot of different things that are required, enabling requirements, tariffs, those wonderful taxes that we love paying. Well, here, oh, yes, yes. have another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, so we're... That's a We're whole on. 
But uh, definitely let us know. I mean, uh, now we follow you and you guys listening, do follow follow them as well. And let's keep an eye out because maybe we'll have the chance. Uh, either we come into the US <laughs> and try to find it, but you have an amazing distribution um, network already. So uh, really, I was surprised to see that. I, I think that you did an amazing job on, on the distribution and supply chain. Um, and uh, they see there or <laughs> we'll be on the wait until you come here. Uh, a bit closer to us, uh, but some of our listeners are in, the, are in the US as well. So for you guys there, lucky you. <laughs> uh, if you haven't already <laughs> taken this, <laughs> make sure you do so. Um, okay, so now uh, trying to, what we do in each episode is we try to draw a couple of, uh, maybe two or three action points that our audience can get, uh, you know, like straight from the episode and uh, either apply them immediately into their business or have them as a little homework for them to um, think about and to see how that might fit their business or their situation. So um, looking back at our discussion from this episode, um, what would you say would be those, let's say, three points that are super important, like a summary of our discussion and you think somebody should take and should look at applying it into their business? Well, I would say, you know, doing your is really lots and lots and lots of research know what you're getting into before you get into it because like I said it's very expensive anytime you launch any business or any product and unless you're wealthy and it doesn't matter if you lose money um, you really need to be well prepared Um, you don't want to forget like I said before we even launched working on your marketing plan, business plan. Okay. You've got to start that. That's where you start in your trademarks and deciding what your brand is going to look like and not just, so another thing on your brand and your logo, you want it to jump off the shelf. If people are walking by it, you want them to say, Whoa, what's that? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so you don't want to blend, but you don't want to look, Uh, corny Mm -hmm. you know especially like our product is the most expensive one on the shelf we have got to have a nice clean gourmet looking label so you know when you it's really important to have a marketing consultant to work with Um, if you don't have that then you're going to be asking for more problems than you have to deal with <laughs> in your website. You know, someone who can guide you with the brand creating your website it takes a long time to create your website. It's not something that you just throw together. There's a lot of thought that has to go into that. And that's, again, that's your research part. Um, getting advice from people that have done what you want to do. Most people are happy to give advice, you know, and to tell you their story and their journey. Um, If you can get a mentor, that's even better. But you always wanna work with somebody who's smarter than you. Mm -hmm. You always want people, you wanna hire people people that are smarter than you. Um, You you can learn things. And stay on top of the trends. You know, it's not like you just launch a product and you're good, and it just ends there. You've always got to stay on top of 
Where are things changing? Where are they going now? What are people's preferences? Because those change a lot too. Now people are cooking at home. They kind of like cooking at home because they get some really good meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't cost them as much. So, I mean, it's, it's just paying attention. You've got to know where things are going. If whatever industry you're in, get on the different uh, newsletters, podcasts, connect with those people on LinkedIn. I actually started writing articles on LinkedIn, which I've never been a writer, but Mm -hmm. I needed to share what I've learned with other people. And I basically was writing articles of summaries of different things I've learned. And, um, you know, it's constantly, how can I do things to make your life better? And that's, that's what I personally am about. What can I do to make it better? What can I do to make Bloody Marys better so that you don't have to have a watered down drink? What can I do to make your food taste better? Well, okay, here, here's a recipe. You know, so it's just asking yourself a lot of questions, really diving into who you are as a human being and figuring out what you want to do and how are you best able to convey that message through your product and through your audience and your customers. Love it. Thanks I don't so know much. if I hit three on that, but it really is a summary. Yeah, no, it was really, really insightful. And I think uh, personally, I liked best uh, the point um, of being attentive to constantly reinvent yourself and also be tuned into the market because this is changing so quickly. It's not only about the promotion, it's actually about, as you said, the consumption behavior, what customer wants, uh, what a customer wants. So it's uh, as a business in order to thrive, it's very important to be tuned into, into the market get uh, more people that are smarter than you in what specific areas that you need and then try to either um, model that or get their uh, opinion or advice on getting better. And uh, yeah, definitely totally agree to this. I think, uh, I think it's very important you want to be successful. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to ask for help. If you need help, ask. People love to help you if you ask them. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so uh, guys, as always, uh, thanks a lot for being with us. Uh, Logi, thanks so much for all the insight and for uh, tuning in with us. Hopefully, we'll meet again soon on the show uh, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, try the product as well. Uh, I'm really curious now. Uh, I'm probably going to have a Bloody Mary now, <laughs> but it's not going to be as good. <laughs> it won't be the same. I'm definitely sure. <laughs> and uh, for, for everybody in the US, uh, but, not, but not only, uh, so we'll put the links in the description below. Uh, as usual, we'll have a transcript of this episode that goes onto our website. So you'll be able to find links there as well. Um, if you want to you know, refer back to the episode later and you don't want to listen to it, you can just read it or share it from there. Uh, and uh, definitely connect with uh, Lori as well. Follow them on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And um, if you have any questions, I think that uh, Logi, I guess people can, maybe if it's somebody that is distributing or that would be interested in a partnership, I guess they could uh, connect directly with you, right? And then you guys can... Absolutely. You know, and if, if any of your viewers want to connect with me, um, 
you know, I'll have a phone call. I'll, I'll talk to them. I'll email with them. If they have any questions, I'm open. That's, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help. And I have a great product. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Okay, Laurie. Uh, thanks so much again. Uh, looking forward to speaking soon. And guys, as always, thanks a lot for tuning in. If you have any questions, always feel free to, get, to, to come in touch. Have an amazing day.